Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsok. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and we are here to talk Disney Gallery colon The Mandalorian colon score. That's music score, not some other kind of score, which would be a very different episode. Right, Ken? Yes. Uh, Mandalorian's up five to one, leading into the ninth inning. It's the score of the game, right? Uh, our 15th episode of The Mandalorian Report, Joseph, and we're, we are going all into this score here today. This is what this episode was about. 
Yeah, that's all this episode was about. It was so it was great. It, I love the variety in these different episodes. Like, you know, Legacy went off in, you know, eight different directions and in directors. You had so many people to know and score was just really a, a trip into the mind and studio of this composer. Yeah. And, and full, full disclosure, I, I think this might have been my favorite episode because it seemed like its own doc. It still had the same feel, vibe, the roundtable discussion. But even that was a little different. And we didn't get the other familiar faces, but it just seemed the way it was shot, put together, seemed like one of those uh, extra special edition footages. If you got the VHS tape of of the Mandalorian (laughs) and I I think I loved some of the revelations in the other episodes better. But I think this one as a complete episode, I might say it's my favorite so far. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. But it did feel to me like a, a backdoor pilot for a spinoff to the all scores, uh, you know, uh, documentary series on Disney Gallery. Because it, it did. It was weird because part of the joy of this Disney Gallery show has been meeting this cast of characters and, you know, you know, getting to know uh, Carl Weathers better and meeting right. Hal Hickel and all that. So it was uh, I really enjoyed this episode. But I was like, oh, where are my buddies? Yeah, no, and that's I think that's tremendously valid because you, you were they've done such a great job of just you you're hanging out with those folks. That's hey, again, that's what Favreau loves, right? Dinner and a movie. Let's let's do it, friend. <laughs> um, so it 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 worked in that regard. I definitely was uh, mesmerized too. Just you know, uh, I, like a lot of comedians and people in pro wrestling, just wanted to be a rock star. So uh, I just am sometimes uh, blown away by just musical talent. Like I, I would probably watch you drum, Joseph. And just <laughs> well, that can be arranged eventually somehow. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, hey, before we dive in here, uh, this episode, as we know, all about the score. But I want to know our expectations for the music of the Mandalorian before the series even started. And even after we knew uh, Ludwig Gordon was on board to uh, compose the score. So can you, can we go back in time? And I'm sure we had some conversations about it, but, but uh, I want to know as best we can uh, going, looking back, what were our expectations? Yeah. My best memory of my own expectations was that it would be something even more different. I feel like uh, Rogue One and Solo pushed in some slightly different directions that were uh, totally appropriate for those stories, but they were still, as we've discussed, so Skywalker saga adjacent. It made sense for them to have similar themes. And you're going with Han Solo, and and it makes sense to tie to some of the music that we associate with Han Solo, but I I felt like they pushed a little bit into into difference. Uh, Obviously, we we go way back with... uh, Kevin Kiner. So we've, we've had different musicians playing around stepping outside the boundaries of John Williams a little bit, but it felt appropriate for me going into this that we'd need to really step outside the boundaries because this since this was the first live action television show and they kept discussing it and hyping it is it's going to be this little sliver. If you love the cantina scene and the bounty hunters being hired in Empire, that's the whole thing. There's so much about that expectation that made me feel like this is make or break. Either Star Wars music is going to step away from the, the really specific Williams tradition and be a little different, or it's not. If if not now, never. Mm. Not now, never. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think I didn't, definitely didn't know what to expect um, with him other than what I liked 
Uh, I, I've talked before. I, I one of my favorite rock bands is this group Haim, and he produced their first album, and he's got a lot of varied uh, experiences, which they do bring some of them up in the show. So it's like, all right, this is this is uh, wonderfully outside the box. Creed, he's you know, he's, so there you go. He's familiar with taking something big and iconic and and not leaning on that. Uh, but I got to tell you, I didn't know. I my ex- expectations were more in line with say the Clone Wars or Rebels, Kiner's work of. Oh, that's the Star Wars theme, but there's some extra percussion in it. Oh, I get it. Um, and I didn't expect, I just, I, I, I did not expect it to be what it ended up being. If, if I'm being honest with myself, caught me off guard. Um, this episode we, we meet up, we begin with Ludwig uh, telling the story of ordering some recorders, as you do, just casually get, uh, give some recorders. And this leads up to the first moment we see Mando on the show. Ludwig describes the theme as, as soulful and childlike. And... What now with our exp- expectations in the rearview mirror of that for, as we're sitting down to watch that first episode, they hit us and, and he plays it here on the recorder here. Uh, I don't even I don't have the musical talent to make uh, the sounds that sound like this. Um, but uh, it, what was our first reaction to that now very recognizable piece of music when he walks in the Mando to that opening scene? Justin? It was so powerful. I think just seeing it the first time, it was really really like oh this is absolutely of the western vibe of gunslinger walks into the saloon and there's this sort of haunting whistly type theme uh but it sounded alien uh in a way that i feel like star wars kind of should and i love the way that uh that ludwig uh, gornson describes it as being soulful and childlike because i think what it does say immediately is hey there's a lot more going on behind behind this mask and it is not all anger and vengeance and money yeah and it is like 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 you were saying there like the moment you hear it and i'm talking that door opens up in the first 20 seconds of the show i i i think i had the same reaction you of like oh yeah i see it i see it no i didn't i don't even like i knew what what the entire eight episodes of the show or the music was going to be but it just like oh that is that is exactly as advertised Western, right? Gunslinger, all these things we're hearing. Uh, that's that fits. It works. And uh, I, the soulful thing too, I reacted to him saying to that, uh, saying that because yeah, all through the series, that's the journey. And the music has a, something a little, a little more intimate to it than other Star Wars themes, which have at times intimate kind of moments. I'm thinking of Yoda's theme or Padme's rumination, some of my, my favorite pieces, but but this was sometimes, as we're going to discuss, seemed to be flowing out of out of his soul, indeed. So. Yeah, and, and I like that it is. It really does just start with that one sound that is clearly one instrument because it, it gets you on that emotional path too. Of that, that's where we're starting from is a guy kind of alone. Um, and, and just in terms of this little scene, I wanted to be sure to say uh, that really blew me away to just hear him go. I ordered some recorders and then I played this thing, which to me now is iconic. And it was really amazing to just uh, see something simple and playful. Like I ordered a recorder and I messed around and now it is truly iconic. And Mm. that was really powerful. That idea of just remember as a creator to not always shoot for like epic iconic. And just if you make something simple and playful, it might suddenly become iconic. 
Yeah, there's yeah, there's there's some some of that pops up again and, and things Ludwig said, yeah, and I'm with you too. Again, that mesmerized by it. I remember the was I think the twenty-fifth anniversary of Band on the Run includes an interview with Dustin Hoffman talking about McCartney writing uh, uh, Drink to Me, uh, you know, Picasso's last meal. And just how, like, it was next to childbirth, the most miraculous, beautiful thing he's ever witnessed, right? You know, like, so I'm totally mad. That opening scene, I've watched it a couple times now, just like, ah, uh, then I added some drums. Eh, I went over the piano. Ah, then I played bass along with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, just like I made a grilled cheese sandwich. It's all there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's this great old interview with uh, David Lynch where somebody asks him how he came up with the idea for Blue Velvet and, and why he wanted to do that, what it was all all about. And he just, in his very David Lynch way, starts slowly describing exactly what you see in the movie. Like, well, what if there was an ear in the grass and a young boy picked it up? And this totally reminded me of that, of just like the the simplicity of like, well, I, I played this, then I played that, and then there was magic. What? <laughs> Simple. 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 That's all it is. From there, we start diving into the score. That's the chapter they went into. Uh, and our good friend, Johnny Fabs, is what we've been calling him here. He talks about all the recommendations. Uh, Ryan Coogler, who's uh, Ludwig's old USC roommate, Donald Glover, of course, uh, combining with Ludwig's varied experiences making and producing music, uh, drawing him, uh, Favre, to Ludwig Gornston. Um, he wasn't a traditional film score composer. Uh, he says that a few times. He said that other places. Joseph, uh, how important do you think that was to making this whole thing work? I think it seemed to put him on the same wavelength of uh, of John Favreau uh, and and I think Dave Filoni up to a point of that. It seemed like they were really really clear on we want this to feel different than Star Wars movies. And I can see how if you hired a really traditional film composer. Uh, yeah, they might be absolutely creative and make something absolutely beautiful, but maybe if they uh, approached it in a more traditional way, they wouldn't get that, uh, I think, the surprise of a different approach. That it, that it felt to me like they were looking for somebody on the same wavelength of, do you want to come at this with respect, but from an entirely different angle? Mm. Yeah, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit later about the films and, and choices that have to be made related to the films and everything, and, and and Favreau indirectly kind of mentions that later on about what is Star Wars or what isn't Star Wars. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. And that, that's what's intriguing to me. And again, when it was announced, like, oh, gosh, yeah, he's doing he's he's known now as a composer, but that's definitely not where his name was made. And playing and producing music was and, and a lot of different kinds of music. So you're right. You just you know, he, he has no path. He has his own path. And that that's smart. And I give uh, Favreau a lot of credit for uh, taking those recommendations and saying this is going to work. Yeah. Getting into it. Um, Ludwig said it would have been a, a, quote, difficult situation to have to more directly create the Star Wars sound. So now we're, we're getting into it here. So uh, fans have understandably just have been trepidatious about moving past John Williams. And I mean, why would you want to move past John Williams? Uh, did this being a TV show, Mando being a TV show, uh, combined with a non-traditional composer, make it a little less difficult of a situation for us. I, I'm worried about us as fans. <laughs> they make it a little less difficult to accept new music? Yeah, it definitely did for me, because like I said, I think I had given it that amount of thought of, okay, this needs to be different because this is, you know, planting a, a flag in, in new territory. 
not just because of where it is in canon and not just because of the subject matter, but because it's it's the first live action television show and, and everything else has kind of made sense to stay pretty close to the traditions of the Skywalker saga and uh, pretty close to the, the general traditions of John Williams. So again, I think I went in with that now or never. So I expected something different. And it's interesting to hear that what I've heard from fans and uh, it sounds like Ludwig <laughs> has heard as well of the, for some fans, it did not make things easier in the first couple episodes was what the hell is this? I don't like it. And then after time, as I think the music married to the subject matter in their minds, then fans are like, you know what? Now that I've gotten over that desire or that expectation for the traditional, I'm okay with the new. It's so just the, the science of change or accepting change, right? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's horrible. I, I was joking re, uh, on one of my streams this weekend. I'm just like, remember when like the worst thing on social media was when like Facebook would change its interface and you, you'd have two weeks of people <laughs> posting about how horrible this change was. And then within two weeks, you can't even remember what the old one was like. <laughs> can't even remember. Uh, I even they, sometimes Apple. I get grumpy about Apple Mac products doing that, and I can't even remember what iTunes used to look like. You know, like I don't know. So it's the science of of change uh, there. But I, I think for me, speaking personal experience, you know, I mentioned Kiner Clone Wars. You and I think had a similar experience the first time we heard that theme of like, well, that's not gonna work for me. <laughs> drums and pound and rhythm and my star wars main theme no and then now it's like i love it and it's part of it um but i so i had that going into it i was a little bit more and i like i i grew out let me clarify i grew to love the rogue one score but initially i was like i don't know about that um solo was a little different for me but that one also is i mean Williams writes uh, the han theme and john powell is not he, you know, that's in the credits of like Hey, I sam yeah, I've sampled the classic themes that's in here, along with some new stuff. So yeah, for me personally, this, it it just it did kind of release the pressure, and and helped. And I'm I'm thankful for that. I think it was yeah. a good. Yeah, I think it's also there's something once you really accept it as this is a really different style to fit this specific uh, show. The same way the Clone Wars theme fits. It's Star Wars, but something's not quite right. And we're at war and it's fun and thrilling. And it's not really a war we're supposed to be in. And like all yeah. those things are are in that music uh, as opposed to just the triumphant, heroic main Star Wars theme. Uh, and you get the same thing with Mandalorian. W once you ex accept those differences, it makes me appreciate the Williams score even more because it defines it even more is that's the music of the Skywalker saga. That's the music of the heart of this story. Um, th that's the music of the whole galaxy at stake. And now what are all the different uh, bits of music and styles of music for different stories? Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that take. That, and, and that's this is one of the things that I think this show will, will it's already probably going to get, already has that credit, but could get that credit going forward, right? Like, uh, yeah, because Kenobi and Cassian, I guess my expectations are it have to be somewhat similar to what we know, but I don't know. Old, old man in the desert could be something entirely different. Old man in the desert, and and not like uh, Williams doesn't have a lot of great tension in his music. But yeah. hey, if if they lean into the spy thing, if they lean into 
he's undercover and could be detected any moment, that suggests a really different kind of music. And, and you could even play around with it. I, I think for some people, this is too far. But I could see if you did it right, you could you could introduce some like 60s spy, you know, James Bond, Mission Impossible vibes, like because that's the subject matter. Yes, even uh, I, I, I kind of like the uh, the the movie version of Man from Uncle. It was a couple years ago. I, you know, I know it's maybe not the greatest, but there's something about it I like. There's that sleek style to it, but that kind of vibe. I also, when you said the Bond thing, I was like, does every episode of Cassian begin with some kind of big theme? He's fighting <laughs> for the rebellion. rebellion. <laughs> yes, I want uh, shadows of Ugnaughts dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. Please. Oh, man. Maybe if we get that Master Codebreaker series, we'll get that too. Get that oh, out. yes, yes. Um, for there, Dave Filoni, and stop me if you heard this before, uh, talked about how George used to teach him things. Uh, and he said that uh, George taught him that Star Wars music does allow, all caps, does allow for a vast array of sounds and designs more than we think. Um, so do we find this to be true? I, I think the spoiler answer is yes. But uh, what are some of those examples if, if we do think that's true, Joseph? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of just going in in linear thought order to m- my experience of Star Wars growing up with the original trilogy and then the special edition coming out. Like, um, I remember, you know, even as a pretty young kid being surprised and delighted by the choral voices in Return of the Jedi because that was new. That had not been. right a part of star Wars. So I think that was pushing it in a different direction. I always loved the sad little guitar version of the, uh, Imperial theme when Anakin dies. Uh, mm-hmm. that was one that always jumped out at me. It's like, that's really different. And you know, I, I don't actually know if it's a guitar. It's always sounded like a guitar to me. Um, but it, it sounded different. Um, and I think just, you can see musically the same way that Lucas, uh, wants to always expand, the palette of Star Wars, you can see that in the special edition with um, the new, the replacements that are, you know, controversial to this day, but Jedi Rocks has more of a straightforward rock and roll drum beat, which you're not finding other places in the original trilogy. Uh, the new Ewok song is much more sort of new agey uh, than I think the original Ewok song. So I feel like, you can already see him pushing in different directions. And then as the prequels and the sequel goes trilogy go out, I think there are more and more little bits of, oh, this wasn't here before, but but now it is. And that's fine. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, Return of the Jedi with the Ewok theme and some of the other things, even even Lopty Neck, right? <laughs> Throw that in there too. Um, is is uh, a little more... Risky is not the word, but you know he's playing within the world he's created. But I, you know, the Ewok theme and the bouncy—it sounds like uh, uh, teddy bears in the wilderness playing. Um, uh, we talk about Revenge of the Sith. I, I, I still say that's kind of like my favorite score because John kind of was like, "Well, this might be the last time I'm throwing things out there that I haven't really done before." But also, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, Cantina, you know, figuring Dan and the modal nodes, they're, they're, they're doing some, some jazz stuff right there and it still sounds star Wars. So even in the beginning that was there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, the, I think one of the things that Floney is thinking about is the clone Wars movie has a couple of weird selections to me. There is a very hard rock sort of, uh, even metal sound, to that one section where uh, the clones and Anakin and Ahsoka are climbing 
the the Teth Monastery. Mm. And every time I watch it, I like, oh, I forgot this was here. It's it, clear that they're really trying to expand the palette. And mm. one of the things I like as a fan is honestly sometimes <laughs> when I don't like something, and I I now like that movie very much. When that music comes on, I'm like, cool. It's awesome that you guys are trying to expand the palette. Don't like it myself, but that's fine. <laughs> Hey, yeah, sometimes you can just do a Boba Fett tip of the cap nod uh, and doesn't mean you're going to join the party. Uh, but I'm also glad you mentioned Clone Wars. Again, uh, Kiner's work, uh, it, it started really getting, he he started getting really known, I think, during Rebels because that's when you were now in the era of podcasts and re- reaction review shows and all those things. Uh, so his name is is brought up more, right, back, back in uh, 08. Uh, there wasn't a lot of places to uh, break down the work of Kevin Kiner <laughs> on a show yet. Um, but I, I really want to give you know him the credit for you know th- that task uh, of taking something we're so familiar with. He's the first out of the gate of my name's not John Williams. Yeah. And, and I thought, uh, I thought it worked. I thought it worked. I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch the Clone Wars movie just for that. <laughs> just for that. Yeah, there's one section I can't remember because I've not rewatched Rebels uh, recently, where I think Zeb is listening to some sort of like uh, space radio station, and it's basically just a rock song. Yes. Uh, and and that is for me, I think because I have been, as you can obviously, a DJ, um, yeah, yeah. big fan of of rock music, and there's something about that because that is so real world for me, even though it, it's now just as old as the, the, you know, 30s, 40s music was uh, of the modal nodes in 77. Mm-hmm. Even though that's kind of music of the past, it always sounds uh, too modern to me. Uh, I would never say it shouldn't be there, but that's, the, for me, it's a fun perspective thing. If I wrestle with the rock because I have a different relation to it and it feels mm-hmm. too real world to me. Yeah, I remember that, that, that's so good, that Zeb scene. It's, I, I don't know, is it first season? Because I'm rewatching the first season and something popped up with Zeb and music. So maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's later. I can't remember. Uh, after reading the scripts, Ludwig realized that this was the story of one man's journey. And this is before we all realized it because he had the scripts and uh, that he needed to tell that story through the music because we don't see his face. And this is one of those, yeah, so simple. I hadn't stopped to really think about it, but yep, it, it, it it's right there. You see it. We don't see Mando's face. Uh, the story has to be told through the music and the actions, which you and I have uh, talked a lot about that. I'm thinking about that fight again in episode six. Um, so he does, he succeeds in that a lot. And uh, what were some of the moments that we felt this worked the best where the music helped convey what was going on in the mind and the heart of, uh, the Mandalorian? Yeah. I, you know, I need to really rewatch Mandalorian, uh, mm-hmm. to, to be able to answer things like this more fully, but I, I will say what really, um, landed with me as the show went on. I liked the music at the beginning. I, I liked it immediately, but once you got into scenes where the Mandalorian had decided to act and uh, some of his theme kicked in, I really just had that strong fist pumping reaction. Like, Oh, here we go. Like (laughs) it has, it's partially like, you know, when your jam comes on the radio, but also that like uh, feeling of like, Oh, you shouldn't have pissed off Mando because here he comes. <laughs> he made a decision, and whoever is on the other end of that decision, you know, better get themselves right because here he comes, and the music is saying, "Here comes Mando." Does that make any sense? It totally makes sense, man. It's it's uh it's uh to me, it's the old uh, when Din the Mando gets here, everybody's gonna run from him. Uh, <laughs> it is, 
it is uh, that. Uh, and I know what you mean too, by the way. Uh, I, I'm the one that wrote this question. It was like, God, I don't remember every moment in the show, but I did go back and watch a few when I had some downtime uh, just yesterday. And I got to tell you, uh, they mentioned the ha- hammer time, which is a great reference. Um, you and I both have loved that moment. Yes. Because it really captures the trauma and then it's mixed in with the sound of the, the, uh, of the, uh, the, uh, the, the hammer being boom hit there, but that really worked. But I got to tell you one of those, um, going back to, you know, I love that uh, second episode there and him fighting the mud horn. And it is, and now you see how Ludwig put it together with all his, uh, robot wall of devices. as he, as he called it there, um, that weird, it is, you can't even put your finger on it, but it's terror and it's panic and it's violence and it all wraps up with the revelation of the child and the force. And that's when that little guitar, that little soft guitar comes in. Mm. I, I watched that in full disclosure, watched that just yesterday, but I was like, Oh, this is, this is, I, I remember hearing it the first time in that stranded in the Phoenix airport, just going, that nah, is, this is chaos in the best way. And, and I can imagine that's what's going on inside uh, Mando's head at that time. Oh yeah, that's great. Uh, the the only other thing that popped to mind is I think a a moment that fans weren't sure about. I'm not sure how fans care about, but I rem- feel about it now. But I remember people not liking it. I liked the super triumphant. I'm riding a blurg uh, in the first episode. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I know for some people they thought it was like a little bit too much, like it was a little too triumphant. Of like, what he's just riding a blurg. But to me, that's that's the character. He was challenged yeah. to not yeah. take the easy grumpy disengaged path he was challenged to live up to being a mandalorian totally and and, and look it is it is very it's it's a western right at that moment right and and i just had the like yeah we're doing this type of thought <laughs> Uh, yeah that's a great moment that's a great moment a lot of stuff uh throughout uh the sh- show and, and they played a lot of them on the show i love that they just kind of went in and played a couple of clips of the songs uh hammer time included there so ludwig began uh, the writing process locked in his studio just experimenting with instruments uh he stayed away from computer-based composing at first because uh, as he said you get nothing back from a scream uh this gave an organic sound to the music. This also made me think of George Lucas and his yellow notepads, Joseph. So <laughs> we're both, uh, both creators of uh, similar things, different things, and, and, and a lot of time doing this here. Do we as creators share this approach? Does it work better? Or can you even be locked into one path, uh, this organic notepad form of creating? Yeah, no, I think uh, like Star Wars talks about a lot in the actual story, you know, I think there's this balance of technology, um, finding the humanity in technology. I think about that with the droids a lot. Um, but there's also, of course, as we've talked about so much about the the organic and the flowing. And I do think that it, for myself as a creator, there is something different about a tactile approach. There is a, there can be a lack of humanity with, uh, you know, all of our typing devices. And there's also this thing of, for a computer in particular, it's kind of where a lot of things happen. Like, and we pay our bills, we, you know, read the news, we answer emails. And then it's weird to also be creative on that. So I've really uh, been trying to get back to having more moments of uh, sort of tactile creation uh, it's one of the bummers for me for myself, um, obviously many bummers about a global pandemic, uh, but um, I had made a habit 
uh, I live in Hollywood, uh, and it's a nice, healthy walk to the oldest bar in Hollywood, Musso and Frank. And it's a nice sit down, uh, you know, restaurant, a very old school, opened in 1919. But there's a, just kind of a classic bar bar where you can belly up to the bar. Mm. And I had made a point to start trying to at least once a month uh, just grab a notebook and walk there, uh, have a martini in the afternoon and just physically write in the notebook. And and I think what's freeing about it is it's the tactile. It's the if you have an idea like you're, you're physically, you know, working more to write it down than typing, yeah. honestly. Uh, but it's also when you're at a computer, you are trying to finish something right it can yeah. get it can get to the rigid part of like you want to finish it hit save uh, attach it email it print it it's locked it's done and when you're a notebook you're in a little bit more of that flowing space of like this is just about ideas maybe you're trying to narrow down or land one specific idea but it has more of a sense of play than a sense of uh rigid completion yeah all that's great and for the record folks listening if you've never gone to a bar with Joseph Scrimshaw, I highly recommend it. He's a fun social uh, hang at a bar, man. Uh, uh, so I'm right here with you. This is, this is why I, I really did like this section. Section, and, and it's one of those, again, there's a lot of, it's so simple that you sometimes just overlook it. And the, I'm thinking more just terms of writing. Yeah, I, I love my Google Docs and emails and uh, virtual meetings and all the, all of it's great. But man, there's nothing that uh, works better for me than just a notepad and a quiet corner and doing it in public because I feel people are watching. So I have to work. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and you're you're uh, strangely free of the distractions, right? Even though yeah. you're in the world and, and you should be paying attention. Uh, mm. It's it's different because it's yeah. it's uh, more organic. Yeah. And it leads uh, and he kind of said it leads things lead to other ideas and he was talking a little bit later with that very non-organic wall of, of devices but it's the same kind of thing he, he's working it the same way and i and i thought it worked i just thought it really showed in the work on this show and uh, felt it was uh, worth a discussion because again i think of i think of george lucas that office in that documentary the beginnings of just him pulling out a paper interior space station exterior space boom we're off and running yeah on a large you know wooden desk yeah I recommend it. Uh, we're about ready to take a break here, but uh, a final question. This first uh, <laughs> section, I loved the footage of him br bringing his little iPhone to set and showing everybody. So the question is, Joseph, are we all Bryce Dallas Howard hearing the music for the first time on an iPhone? Yes. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard has also been one of the huge delights of Disney Gallery. And uh, frankly, I, I would be happy to just see an entire documentary of Bryce Dallas Howard uh, reacting to uh, fun and exciting things. <laughs> yeah, it was just great. I love that little moment. It was a really great behind the scenes. What foresight to be filming that. Uh, they knew they knew they had something special with the show, even if, if they, even if they didn't know the show was going to work. They're like, this process has been different and we got to roll some cameras on it. And I like that there. So uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break here on the Mandalorian report. But when the uh, when we come back, it's time to go into the recording studio with the orchestra. Stick around or center. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. Radio. 
Hey, Four Center fans, don't forget, Four Center is on YouTube. Head over there to catch up with our new show, Star Wars Show and Tell. Joseph, Jennifer, Ken, and special guests sit down and share favorite items from their own Star Wars memorabilia collections. Plus, there's the In Memoriam video series, encore presentations of Databank Brawl, and special programming all there for you and more shows on the way. It's Four Center on YouTube. Check it out. Welcome back to The Mandalorian Report here on Force Center. I'm Ken Napsuck with Joseph Scrimshaw. We are diving into episode seven of Disney Galleries The Mandalorian, the score episode. Uh, a lot more to get to here, Joseph. Uh, we'll dive right into it here. This uh, this is what I was talking about here. Uh, Mandalorian uh, score was uh, created uh, very organically, very um, artistically, very spiritually, but also some wonderful... Uh, computing devices. <laughs> Ludwig is seen playing on what I'm calling the robot wall of music making devices. I know I'm trying to think. My 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 old roommate used to do this too. So he would be in his room just man. What are we, we plugging in? I just be like well, I don't know what you're doing, but it's beautiful. Um, so uh, while uh, Ludwig was doing this, while talking about the importance of creating audio worlds to match his visuals, which was a great point, and then he admits that a, a lot of those worlds were created by chance. And this is going back to kind of what you and I were talking about, but letting his inspiration lead to other inspirations, kind of f- picking up where we left off. What is the, what does this say about the importance of creative flow over rigid planning, Joseph? Yeah, I, I think... Uh... I really liked that there was a mixture of like, here, here's my just recorders. Here is, you know, my human air being, you know, blown mm. through this ancient, you know, wooden device, basically. And then here's this wall of uh, robot computers. <laughs> and I just like the tone of it, too. Like, he didn't know what it was either or, or how it got in his studio. It was just like, I rented it and it was there. Like, obviously, that's not the case. But that was the vibe to me, which I, I thought was really fun and funny because so, it still had this sense of play and discovery about it. Because just like... Oh, hey, this wall's here. What happens if I turn some knobs? Um, yeah, but but to you, specifically to your question, I, I feel like for me, we talked about this a little bit in, in one of the recent episodes as well about how I really try to be aware in my own creative process of some of it is very structured and analytical and some of it really has to be free-flowing and creative. And I think starting from a place of free-flowing and not worrying about the more analytical part of it until later is a is a pathway to natural discoveries to beautiful things and i think that's really the trick is to free yourself from knowing you're going to have to have that final draft or for like ludwig gorenson when he's sitting there playing with those notes he's i don't think he's going okay i just discovered a weird sound i don't even really know what it is or what to call it he's not worrying at that moment about but how am i going to mix it or how am i going to you know, if I need an orchestral version of that, how am I going to notate that? You know, he's thinking just about the organic sound in the moment. So I think uh, to me, it's uh, the organic part of it is trusting yourself to wander and make a discovery and freeing yourself of that analytical side, knowing that there's always time to be rigid later. Yeah, it might all flow into some sort of uh, rigid plan that you need that needs to feel that way or look that way. And in, in some ways, uh, that's when the Google Docs come into play. But I, I really love that. There's a one shot. He's, he's messing around. He's playing with the sounds. 
And he just kind of looks at the camera like, isn't that crazy? Like, yeah, that just got made. That's crazy. I love it. Yeah, I thought it was a really great moment. And and um, and again, it shows in the music and it shows in uh, how he came about it. And yeah, he's he's got a certain level of genius to him that, you know, maybe I couldn't do that in terms of music. But uh, to really see it and to see him have a grasp on not having a grasp. I just, I just really like that. I, th- I thought that again. Another reason I think I like this episode, even outside of Star Wars, you could just go make this the creative process, <laughs> a, a look, a look Disney Gallery creative process. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it is really powerful because it relates to some of the things uh, that we're going to talk about later, as we say on Force Center. Um, that it, this is th- this is the moment where too much reverence for Star Wars would tighten you up and make you rigid right where you you just turn one little knob and you hear one that first noise and go is that star wars is that right and it's clear that he totally freed himself of that and just said i'm gonna play and that trust that uh feeling of being flowing is what let him make something that is you know uh worthy to be revered in the same way william's work is worthy to be revered is, is by trusting that sense of play yeah so this leads to what ludwig calls the third element of the mando music this is the mandalorian orchestra uh, this uh, ludwig says was to help honor that star wars sound we've been talking about and to this point in the show they had yet to say john williams name and they still don't say it for a little bit here and i only say that because uh, I, we have a little more more discussion of why i think that they did that, but I was in this point like, say his name, say his name, come on. Um, but I love this reveal that cool, uh, organic, uh, free-flowing, uh, some some computers and modern stuff, and I'm going, and then, yeah, to honor Star Wars, we need a room full of 80 talented musicians playing this because that truly is Star Wars, and we do need to have that. I, I really like that. Uh, did that, that resonate for you, Joseph, too? Oh, yeah, yeah, because it did show us, I think, such a, hey, and he even says uh, that, like, yeah, no, I just, I went to this recording place alone for a month, which, by the way, I'm super jealous of. Uh, I want to be locked alone in a room <laughs> to play. Um, it, it, so to, to get the contrast of, like, oh, he's just there, and he, he plays a flute, he hits a floor tom, he plays a piano, and, and that's it, uh, to marry that with that orchestral spirit. Uh, not even spirit reality was really cool to me. Yeah. And I, I think we just can't deny that's, that's important to hear uh, as, as Star Wars fans, that the orchestra was directly connected to the Star Wars sound, that that was there. And it goes into this bigger conversation of freeing yourself up. And I don't know if maybe I'm trapped into that. I, I don't know. I don't know. But even hearing that, cause again, you hear, you hear it in the music. It wasn't a surprise, but to hear how it was framed, it's like, all right, cool. I don't know. It just makes me feel better that it was there. I don't know if that's wrong, Joseph. But <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, Johnny Favs was right on the money about one thing here. He's on the money about a lot of things, I'll say. But he called Star Wars music the lightning rod of Star Wars, saying uh, no matter the varying opinions, and we all know there's some varying opinions out there. He says, in general, everybody 
loves the music. It's, it's, it's something we agree on. And I think you and I, Joseph, have found that to be true. That was one of those things, even back in the days of, uh, I don't like the prequels. I mean, I like the music. That was one of the entry points too. So do, do we agree with this? And, and the main part, why? Is it just, just John Williams is so good? Is that why? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there are two factors to it for for me and from my perspective largely on what uh you said is back in the day when there was a ton of uh prequel dislike that was an entry point to conversation like yeah but the music was really good i think part of that is yeah the music's really really good and john williams is just amazing Uh, but i think there is uh, the power of familiarity you know as you and i have talked about a lot uh back in the day when people were challenged by the prequels a lot of it was what was new with that. It was a little bit more uh, political that it, you know, questioned the heroes more, uh, you know, more digital stuff, aliens of different shapes, all that stuff. So much of what was challenging for people was that it was new. So I think that there was a comfort in, yeah, John Williams had some amazingly new things like Duel of the Fates, but it still sounded like the Star Wars that uh, people of that generation had grown up with. And, and I think that, carries forward to the sequel trilogy too where people who don't like the sequel trilogy for many different reasons still like the williams music because it sounds like the star wars they grew up with if that's original trilogy or prequel so true i kind of think of like when i go to a party and i don't know anyone there so for maybe one person i gravitate towards the shrimp cocktail because at least it's something i know and love (laughs) it's really really good and you know it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, a, I can start from there. I'll start meeting people at the shrimp cocktail plate. So I think that's uh, that's pretty powerful. No, I think I think you're you're right on. And beyond just yeah, John Williams is really good. Uh, it's something we know, and it's you know from New Hope on, especially if that's how you saw it, uh, you're definitely going to gravitate to that. But it's interesting if your entry point to Star Wars is different, the music is still going to pull you in as well. So, so yeah. Uh, I also just liked hearing hearing uh, uh, Johnny Favs having that clarity about fans. Like we know that he is a fan as well, and and I think yeah. we get the picture of him that he was a huge original trilogy fan, and then eh, not not as sure about the prequels. <laughs> but Filoni's <laughs> working on him, working with him. Uh, so that's always fun too to get that peek into. He had those fan conversations. You know, I'm sure on the set of Swingers, he's debating you know Star mm-hmm. Wars things. So they see him again be like, I'm really aware of what uh, what parts of Star Wars people have strong opinions about and kind of why. It also, yeah, and also gave me even a little bit more respect for Favreau going, I realize this is the thing everyone loves, but I'm still going to try something new with it. And I still want to bring in this guy who will absolutely do something different. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a big leap, man. That's a big leap. And he kind of addresses that here in a little bit here saying... Um, you know, they did not want to directly draw upon what came before as a shortcut to get to the audience. Now, that is an interesting statement to say right now, and I'm sure that could be spun off into a lot of different uh, videos and essays. <laughs> Let's dive into it here. I, I think it's a great statement. Um, but to me, it once again speaks to the Mandalorian having more room than the movies. At one point, he's literally, Favreau in this episode is like, we're not Star Wars. We're not Star Wars. We're on the side of Star Wars. We're Star Wars adjacent. And that gave us gave them more uh, room. So I, I'm going to start, and this could go to a lot of different areas, Joseph. Uh, my uh, rigid notes and questions have no <laughs> meaning here, but I'll start here. Could this approach with the music have worked in a movie if the show hadn't come out yet now? Meaning 
2022 new Star Wars film, Taika Waititi presents The Adventures of IG-11 or, you know, whatever it is, The Rise of Chirpa finally happening. And they could go more in this direction with music and we'd be used to it by now. Now it's now the change has happened. Without The Mandalorian, Ludwig Gordon does solo. Does that work at all? Yes. Uh, well, no, let, let me say that. Let me say it this way. Mm-hmm. If the Mandalorian ended up being like, they're working on it and going, this is pretty amazing. Let's actually just, let's do a movie to introduce the Mandalorian. And yeah. let's say in, you know, 2020, the Mandalorian movie had come out, uh, as kind of an introduction to the television show And this music was in the Mandalorian. Uh, I think people would have at first in the theater been like, mm, I don't know, this doesn't sound like Star Wars, which I think is a, a natural reaction. And then on second, third viewing would go, but wait, this music sounds like this story. Because mm-hmm. I think that's the power. We talk about new and old, but what matters within new and old is how much does it match the spirit of what's on screen? And for me, you know, we have no idea what uh, Taika Waititi's story is going to be. And I want the music to match what's on the screen and to me that that's kind of the most important thing to accepting it yeah oh absolutely absolutely and again Ludwig gets the scripts and oh okay this is what I got to do or this is what I got to try to do yeah it's 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 an interesting discussion and we've had these what's bad nostalgia what's good nostalgia what isn't nostalgia but is confused as nostalgia we've had those conversations and we'll continue to have them there so uh I I know I just, you know, I don't know. I can just set that that directly draw upon what came before as a shortcut to get to the audience. Uh, that that could be, I don't know, that could be pulled a lot of different ways, Joseph, right? Yeah, l- let, let's pull it a couple of ways for a second, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's uh, do it. Yeah, I think this discussion is happening a lot. And for me, it, it is one of those discussions where I think maybe uh, fans discussing Star Wars can miss each other's intent because I think it's one thing to say, I really love The Mandalorian because it's new, it's different, it's new characters, it's not relying on what we have come to know. Look at this new music, it's new and exciting. I love new Star Wars. There's, I don't think there's a lot of fans who are going to disagree with that. For me, when the conversation becomes complicated is, to me, the sequel trilogy is a continuation of what has come before. And when Leia's theme comes in or Yoda's theme comes in or the binary sunset, that isn't to me a cheap emotional hook to get the audience on board. It's the story that they chose to tell. And I feel like if anybody decides, ah, you know what, I'm, I just don't want to be places I've been before. I, I've seen a, you know, confused Jedi make a fateful choice and have the force theme play. Been there, done that. But I think there is a distinction of that's to me, it is not a cheap hook. It's a continuation of the story. So that music should be there. Yeah, you you are really touching upon something that I think is at the heart of the conversation for me, where I've always given, and this is a real dumbed down example, but an ATSD in Rogue One, which became a jokey catchphrase because of some folks. Um, I'm still like, but I'm watching a story that takes place a week before New Hope. If there's not an ATSD there, I'm questioning it, you know, and, and, and that's not me. And that's not them pulling on my Kenner loving heart. It's me. It's like, that's what would be there, <laughs> like, or some version of it, an ATBT. I don't care, whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, 
And some of the bigger ones, I love these again. The continuation, I it, you know, Luke pulling out the the X wing in episode nine. I know some people have some very strong ninety tweet thread uh, <laughs> opinions on that, and God bless you if you do. But I'm like, I just reacted to it a different way because of what you said. It is, it is, it it is the story from episode four or five. <laughs> it's it's that. So I want it to be that. But you know, I I know that's not shared universally, and I understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I, yeah. I think to me, there is just a distinction because even go to the sequel trilogy. I think one of my favorite pieces of Star Wars music ever is Ray's theme and right. the power of it in Force Awakens. And I was blown away by that. And I don't always notice the music as much as uh, other fans. I was blown away my first viewing. It was one of the things that came out. I was like, oh, my God. Um and and the the march of the resistance and the first order music is it it is similar but it's different so everything that is new in the sequel trilogy has new music that has its own power and it's only when those themes are being connected that the connective tissue of the music returns and i i think it's totally valid as a fan to say you know what i was happy with the first six movies telling the skywalker saga i didn't want to revisit that mm-hmm. that to me is a a personal choice that isn't saying the music is a manipulation because to me it's not a manipulation. It, it's it's there because it makes sense to be there. Uh, just yeah. like having a a sound of a, a gunfighter entering a saloon is not a manipulation. It's the story of the Mandalorian. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, um, yeah, interesting. And it, it, it and yeah. Anyways, I love the book. We we could talk probably more about. Um, John Favreau and his thoughts on uh, Star Wars and what isn't Star Wars. I, I he said it. He's said it a lot during the series, but for him just to be like, "Yeah, we're not Star Wars," and again, he knows they are, but that was his creative approach, and it worked. It really worked. But I also think he's you can't you can't overlook that he's said that we we aren't the movies, and the movies have to answer to something different. And it's been yeah. Clear. Yeah, and I think there's a, that's great to be really clear on what our goals are. And I feel like when he was saying, you know, we aren't Star Wars, he meant we aren't the Skywalker saga. Right. Right. So from there, from that uh, discussion point, uh, we go to Ludwig describing uh, the show having a through line, but each chapter is uniquely its own story with its own feel. And now, Joseph, we felt that as fans, we felt that as podcasters reviewing the show – um, to varying degrees of success on the first viewing, um, you know, especially with me, it was like, I, what is, what is four five and six about? And, you know, but <laughs> yep, all right, we got themes and you and I can discuss them, but, uh, this, the music kind of helped pull it all together and kept it connected. So looking back now, and I'll say for the record, I, I, now that it all laid out in front of me, all eight chapters, it was like, Ken, just shut up next time. Um, <laughs> how much did the music help keep the, keep it connected for you, Joseph? I think for me, it it did absolutely feel all of the same galaxy. And I think I really felt the transitions in the Mandalorian himself. I think the success of having these bits of instrumentation that are sound very small compared to other Star Wars instrumentation, you know, just like, hey, right now it's just a recorder. Oh, it's just a recorder and, a, you know, a single floor tom. Um, and then transitioning... So, you know, it's lonely and soulful, and then it transitions into moments of being orchestral, which uh, just by definition feel more full and dynamic and not as alone. So I think that that contrast between the instrumentation matching the way Mando progressed through the series of 
being more alone to struggling with whether or not he not he wanted to connect to other people to being connected to other people really worked for me across the series. Yeah, that's when you know the themes start working when um I think by episode 2 where again I'm watching it going, "Whoa, wow, they're going a different kind of style than I would have anticipated. I like it, but it's weird and different." You start hearing the that Mando theme. That's what themes do. You're like, "Oh, okay. We're here. I get it. We're moving forward and I like this character." So, important again why it's important to uh, Spend time talking about the music here. Just from there, here we go. The man with the cowboy hack. You ready? Um, <laughs> by the way, we love Dave Filoni, everybody. We just love teasing him, I guess. He doesn't really know us, but <laughs> sorry, Dave. Uh, a discussion about George creating the world of Star Wars sprung up, and Filoni talked about the fine line between doing something new in Star Wars and honoring what was there before. Sounds familiar. We keep all talking about it all through this Mandalorian documentary series. He stressed the importance of the inherent fun and adventure of this kid stories and we come back to that a lot here on force center joseph as do a lot of fans so what do we feel about this moment overall freeform discussion here because they talked about george having to build it up why everyone else is especially the british crew going what are you talking about uh and they show i love they show uh what is it gil gil young <laughs> i love that they got to him because as, as we know he was the one who was really treating george bad back in the day so yeah, yeah. Oh man, that just that little mini discussion about how incredibly difficult it must have been for Lucas to have all of this in his head and only have a few people kind of on board with him and the rest of the people going, "Okay, why we're making one of those kind of just cheesy shooting at things movie?" You know, even even down to the great joke that Mark Hamill uh, has told on a bunch of talk shows where. He was worried about whether or not his hair should be wet coming out of the uh, the, uh, the trash compactor and Harrison Ford saying, hey, kid, it's not that kind of movie. Um, <laughs> to, to be, uh, I loved that, that specific challenge of making Star Wars was highlighted because, um, you know, watching this, Filoni and uh, Favreau have both accomplished a lot. I think... Uh, Favreau in particular, it's really fun to watch somebody who has had a lot of elements to their career and has gotten to a place of, you are one of the stars of this industry and have a right to have an ego, right? You've, you've earned it. And to hear somebody like Favreau who has uh, fought for the respect to maybe even walk up to the line of being cocky going, I can't imagine how Lucas did that. You know, right. we're trying to do something slightly new within Star Wars which means we have to really work hard for everybody to to get on board and, and trust our vision of of doing a slightly different version of Star Wars. And he had to make have everybody go. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's a Jedi and there's a, a dog in a spaceship. Trust me. And just the amount of uh, respect that was put on that specific challenge that Lucas faced making it. I, I just really appreciated that. Yeah, and this series has gone out of its way to really pay pay honor and respect to to George it, it, every episode, and and it's not just because Dave is there. It is it is planned parts of the discussion, and I I, I think you're right. I just really have appreciated that as a fan. And you know, again, it's it's no small feat. Just you, you like you said, even some of the interviews with cast from back in the day, like they're on set, like I don't know what's I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I have no idea what we're doing or why. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll it out. And there is the man doing American graffiti, who had done American graffiti, giving us this. Um, the fun adventure, the inherent fun of uh, this kid story. 
I think the reason we keep going back to it, Joseph, is I definitely this isn't this isn't um, this isn't a rolling up the sleeves and poking the bear of of the last few years of of Star Wars fandom, but just it is it is like don't stray from that. And Filoni even has I forget the I didn't write it down, but exactly yeah, it's, you know people their grandiose expectations sometimes is what is burying um, their joy of this. Uh, I'm paraphrasing a lot there, but. Yeah, I, I think that's why it keeps coming up. And I'm glad Dave Dave is reminding us the heart of all this. Yeah, yeah. And I, I continue to really enjoy Filoni. I, this, the, whole, the whole Disney gallery has been great because I've enjoyed Filoni at, at panels, but panels can be like rock star events and you only see, you know, a, a little bit of a person. And to see him in this context and to get to see him keep sharing his viewpoints on Star Wars have been, has been great. Um and what I really like that he highlighted here uh, again is balance, which is a very Star Wars idea. Yeah. Balance between play and reverence. And I think reverence is the word that that he used of like in, in that specific example of like a stormtrooper walks on. You're like, oh, that's so cool. But it also is comes with this baggage of all these expectations of, you know, here's what a stormtrooper does. Here's what they don't do. And, and having mm. having that kind of reverence for Star Wars is important. I'm a canon junkie and it, it bothers me if elements of Star Wars are just ignored or, you know, if big themes are just sort of not you, if you're not presented a different view of a theme, but rather a theme is sort of negated in some way that I don't like that. And I think Filoni is really, really good in my book at picking through this balance between play and reverence and saying, what, what part of Star Wars is kind of locked and we shouldn't mess with that too much. And then within that, we have to play. We have to put our own personality into it. We have to give things people things that they have never seen before. And we can't just be all about reverence or we're just repeating what's been said before. And, and I, I, I continue to find myself agreeing with him when he makes choices about where to put the reverence and where to put the play. Uh, 100%. 100% agreement. I, it, it is, it's been comforting and nice and sometimes look at some of our discussions i, I, I particularly remember some people having a, a different i don't know they, they interpreted some of our thoughts and words specifically some of mine about what we feel about canon and like joseph just said rest assured like i spent a long lot lot of time and long nights just going where does that fall in the timeline what's going on while this is going on where's that person uh, and and they mentioned this series. I think it was Gina Carano talking about. Ah, oh, Dave's great. Like he'll tell you what that patch on your sleeve is or isn't, and it's right or not right. Um, so all that is part of it. But to when you're talking about the stories and putting them together and where the where your joy and entertainment uh, and, and enlightenment comes from, it all comes from this 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 fun adventure. That's a morality tale. That's why it keeps coming back up. So yeah, good on good on you, Dave. Yeah. Uh, this though so from that and this is again the series overall has been put together so well it just it flows it's got organic flow to it because from there we finally get it Ludwig Gornson sharing how much John Williams they say his name affected him and influenced him to get into classical music Um, so how do you feel about this episode of Disney Gallery doing what the music for the show did, Joseph, highlighting the new while slowly revealing how much it was influenced by the past and how much it honors it? Well, first, I just want to honor your question. That was a, is a a well said, well written, uh, great question, uh, is artful by itself. A question that kind of contains its own answer in that it's great. 
it's great that they show uh, that the episode sort of mirrors, I think, what the creators went through. So we get to see that of like, okay, we got to play, we got to play, but we're still having some reverence. I think what I really liked about what Ludwig said and the way they edited it was something that I try to think about as a creator is he was um, moved by John Williams' music and he talked about John Williams' creativity of trying new things. And it's a picture of somebody who is inspired by the content of John Williams' art, yes, but also trying to pay homage to that by being a creator yourself. And right. to me, I think that's a an important distinction of if you love something, sometimes as a creator, you can just go, I want to make something that's like that. Or you can look at something, uh, a creator, and go, I want to create the way they did. And what I create might not look or sound or be anything like the person who inspired me. Mm. But what I'm inspired by is the process and the approach of that person just as much as the actual art they produced. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's why I love hearing those stories of how star Wars inspires people or Lucas or Williams specifically inspiring people to get into science or other industries, but star Wars is at the heart of it. It uh, speaks to that, but in terms of just the creative stuff, like you're talking about, that's, that's a powerful it's a powerful reminder too, when you're lining up your creative icons and we all have them, you know, um, is, is you can get, I don't know. I can't be Steve Martin, but I can look at the way he approaches things and, and, and approach it to what I can do. And it makes you aware of what you can do. Uh, yeah. I think that's pretty valuable. Um, and Ludwig's very aware of what he can do. And this was a discussion about him that I, I was discussing, um, with uh, our friend Lauren Romo of the Galactic Podcast on my Discord server, we were discussing this idea. You know, he's a very humble guy, almost not aware of his his skill. Skill, and I'm like, no, I think I think he is aware, and and how he handles that is a real testament to who he is and aware of what he is coming from. The stuff you're saying with John Williams is like, no, I I know what I can do, but it's just me and a computer. Wow, I'm a this is. You know, it's it's this true humbleness of of I know my power and my power does not make me better than anyone else. It's just fun to explore and do things with this power. And I was blown away by by him in in that moment, too, in this whole section. That makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. No, that that's really sad. Well said, too, of he he uh, is using his power to create in, in the way that makes sense to him, not just trying to be as powerful as John Williams. <laughs> yeah. And he, I mean, they talked about him being calm in that, in that studio, you know, and it's, it's, there's a lot, he says oh, eight hours. That's like three movies. It's a lot to, you know, there's even a shot of him kind of being like, Ooh, rubbing his head, tired, face tired and everything. But he was, he was confident and calm. And, and, um, and I think that was, uh, it ties to a little bit of what you're saying there. Just like, yeah, you can't be John Williams, but you can, create like John Williams in other areas. Anyways, bigger discussions. A lot, a lot in this episode. I'll tell you, this is a lot about the creative, the creative. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're almost done here though. Uh, wrapping up, going into the new legacy. So from that, we got all the elements of the show and the music's different. It's creating these things. A um, couple, this is a little bit of a repeating beat here. This is the kind of the moment where Favre saying, Hey, Mando is not competing with star Wars. I, you know, and I think that's true. I totally think it's true. The spirit of, of that is, is true. But Star Wars fans, uh, you know, 
I, I got to admit that I had some grumpiness when the show was rolling out. We talked about it a little bit when we we're breaking down the episodes of of feeling defensive of the sequel trilogy because people were using Mando against it. Yeah, so that's definitely there. But I think I think the spirit of what John was saying is right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the, for me, a a way of of approaching art and approaching life of uh, nobody needs to lose for somebody else to win. You know, you can love Mandalorian without hating anything else. Yeah. Uh, so again, this is a bit of a repeat beat, but touching upon it here, uh, he, because of that, because of John's approach, Hey, we're not competing. They, they brought in new characters, new planets, and the music helped uh, people get that quickly. Going back to our initial discussion, it, it did work for us, Joseph, right? Just the moment he walks in, Oh, we got something new. We're on a different journey. Yep. It worked for me because it was, it was still to me, totally felt of star Wars. It still has a little bit of that, uh, alien quality, the extremely soulful, uh, and emotional quality of John Williams music, but it also felt personal. You know, it, it didn't, it didn't feel like it, it felt like it fit Mandalorian and it feels like it is flowing from a unique creative place, right? Because you could have given, uh, some, another amazing composer other than uh, Ludwig, the exact same assignment, and they would have produced something entirely different. And I think I hear that. I hear that it is personal to him as well as to the character of the Mandalorian. Totally. Yeah. Uh, This, that led to Floney talking about Star Wars being generational. Uh, You and I have talked about that. I'm fascinated with different entry points in Star Wars for fans and uh, Dave Filoni then said the Mando and Ludwig's music will become a generation Star Wars. Uh, so there you go, Favreau, that you're not competing with Star Wars. You are Star Wars. Um, so what do we think that Star Wars generation, the Mando generation, if they're eight, nine, ten, their mom and dad got them Disney Plus and they sit down and they watch Mandalorian and that's their first exposure to Star Wars. What do you think that Star Wars generation will look for in their Star Wars going forward, Joseph? I think that generation will emphasize the intimate and the personal because this is a story where the galaxy isn't at stake. Small communities are at stake. Uh, People's view of themselves, the health of a couple of individual beings is at stake. So I think really that emphasis on yeah, maybe a little gritty, maybe a little uh, of the bounty hunter flavor of things will be emphasized in people's minds. But I think more than anything, that idea that Star Wars, as we know it, started even from those early trailers, right? Of Like an epic saga, a billion years in the making, a thousand worlds. And this is, you know, uh, a weary guy walks into a bar. And I think that is what people are going to take forward with them is that Star Wars for me, an intimate story of a person just trying to do the right thing. And Hey, they're, they're not going to have what I had to deal with in myself, which was feeling I'm pretty insightful, pretty connected into Star Wars. I thought I learned a lesson with rebels, but going into the series, questioning well what is this episode doing why are they going here what's this and look i you know episode five still not my favorite or uh, but, but but getting to seven and eight and seeing it all come together and going ah that is a complete story that they took their time to tell it i think this generation again eight nine ten starting out 
you're, they're going to be more open and ready to hearing and waiting, hopefully, for the whole story to develop. Uh, and that would be a good trait. One that yeah. I And all Star Wars should have cute babies. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> this one does not have a baby Yoda. Uh, or we'll find out soon enough maybe what that actually uh, is there. Hey, that's exciting. Uh, any uh, final thoughts here, Joseph, on the score? Uh, yeah, another another great episode. Uh, thank you, Ken, for writing up the questions and pulling out even more uh, specific details uh, and, and avenues of thought uh, to get excited about. Uh, for me, uh, this was... It, it was weird because some of uh, some of the buddies that we've been meeting these last couple episodes weren't there, but uh, consistently with everybody involved, I, I also wanted to just hang out with Ludwig and ask him more about his uh, robot wall or his uh, his big weird awesome sweater jacket. Uh, you know, he was really really charming. That was really fun to see. Uh, and my final thought, I I paused so much to look at those uh, orange sparkle drums. Uh, I believe my dad had a drum kit like that briefly when I was a kid, and man. Man, did I have such flashbacks seeing that uh, orange sparkle drum kit. Oh, uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, again, I love. I really love this episode. I think there's so much there that's beyond Star Wars and the creative process. I said, I, I had a chance to meet Ludwig once. He was a guest on Nick Mundy's old Screen Junkie show, and he had done Creed, but not Black Panther yet. And everything you see here in, in the in the half-hour interaction I had with him is all true and all real, and he's just... Um, He's a good dude and happy to see. And, and, and what a testament to me. You know, the connections start young. Not everyone's going to have their roommate be Ryan Coogler. Um, but I think it's a testament to just, just working, rolling up your sleeves and taking time. And your career does not happen overnight. You know, it does not. And again, another lesson about creativity and the process and the business coming from this episode. So. We are going to wrap up the Mandalorian report next week with a, a look at the eighth and final episode. Uh, and then we'll start, to, you know, our programming. We'll clone Rose report. We'll have some special editions. Maybe Mando will come back. And then, of course, when season two comes back, we'll be ramping up for that. But this has been a lot of fun breaking this down here with all of you on Force Center. Uh, you can support us by going to Twitter and follow us at Force Center Pod. Use hashtag Force Center. Like us on Facebook. We're on Instagram, YouTube as well. Uh, new videos coming out again soon. And uh, then uh, you can go to uh, T Public to get merch. tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. Patreon.com slash Force Center is where you can support us and help us get things like cool new music. Like we just got for Star Wars Rank from our friend Tony Thaxton, who uh, is a talented musical genius in his own right. Uh, that uh, is, uh, we're almost out of here. Oh, uh, Audible Trout. Don't forget to support us by getting a free audiobook on us. Go to audibletrout.com slash Force Center. And we got our own things as well, Joseph. Yeah, that's right. You can find me Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw. And then you can go to my website for my other podcast and comedy albums and all sorts of stuff like that at josephscrimshaw.com. Do the same for me by going to Joseph Scrimp. No, by going to kenhapsock.com <laughs> and finding uh, all the things I do there. That is it for this week. We'll see you next week for the wrap up of this wonderful series Disney Gallery colon Mandalorian colon. We've learned a lot. We'll see you next time here on Force.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.